Welcome back, everyone. This is Discussing Who, and on this episode, we will be discussing the episode Human Nature. This is from the 2007 series of Doctor Who, and who are we? I am Kyle Jones, and joining me in this podcast, as always, Mr. Lee Shackelford. Lee, how are you? I am very well, and and I I, I can't even say that I'm always on the podcast, because sometimes I'm not. But you're always here in spirit, right? There you go. Well said. Well, the other gentleman that is (laughs) 99.9% always on this podcast, Mr. Clarence Brown. Clarence, what's going on? How are you? Nothing much, man. I'm ready to talk about that Michael Jackson song, Human Nature. Ah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's even kind of a thriller, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Indeed it is. Yeah. And, you know, the the protagonist or the antagonist, not the protagonist, the antagonist, I would say, are kind of bad, right? They're bad. <laughs> you guys started it. Come on well, now. Well, you know. <laughs> you can't blame me for that one. They are bad. Yes, indeed, they are bad. And this is one of the episodes, Well, I, well, we'll get into that. In just a second, but I have some news that I want to go through before we get started. And part of the news is some feedback that we received from none other than our Doctor Who Encyclopedia, Mr. Dave Cooper. In episode number 143, we made reference to whether or not the doctor had ever been bad. And Dave writes and he says... And and I will quote, he says, well, in the enemy of the world, the second doctor impersonates someone being bad. Yeah. So I can give him that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But but Salamander was somebody else. But yeah. But he did yeah. impersonate him. He did. He did. And he even goes back to the first episode or the first story, but it's actually the second episode in the cave of skulls. The first Mm. doctor did try to bash in the brains of a stone age man. He certainly did. And he goes so far as to mention (laughs) the night of the doctor when the doctor chooses to become a warrior um, to do bad things in the war uh, as the war doctor. Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And Arguable. last, okay. Last but not least, in the water of Mars or the waters of Mars, uh, the Doctor becomes the Time Lord victorious, and even goes so far as to say, "I've gone too far." Hmm. What do you guys think? That's interesting. I haven't seen Waters of Mars in a long time, and I need to look at that again because uh, for things like that. Hmm. Interesting, Clarence. What do you think? I don't know. I think the Doctor is. I think he always has the possibility of going too far. If we want to look at that far, that that side of it, and I think it's the companions that keep him grounded. So, um, not the villain quite yet, but you know, in in certain circumstances, he could become one. I guess if things go <laughs> in the wrong wrong direction, maybe. yeah, there should always be that possibility. Well, it's interesting you brought that up because it was, I think. Catherine Tate's character, Donna Noble, who said, and I think it was in The Runaway Bride, when she said that you need someone to stop you. Don't, yes. you know, basically don't travel alone. You need someone to stop you. Absolutely. Yeah, that that's a big part of that story. Well, our next bit of news that I have, and this is very interesting considering the fact in Gridlock, 
we referred to the macro and we even went so far as to say, okay, well, what was that story? And Lee, you said it was the macro terror that um, the macro appeared in, correct? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, come the 25th of March, 2019, this being one of the lost or missing uh, serials, it is being restored in animated form and will be available uh come the 25th of March of 2019. Wow. Which is, uh, as we're recording this, that's uh, in three weeks. Indeed it is. And this uh, story, for anyone listening, was originally broadcast in four parts from the 11th of March through the 1st of April, 1967. And, of course, it stars Patrick Troughton as the second doctor. Yeah. And this is this another one when they have where they have all the audio, but they just don't have the video. I'm cool. guessing. Correct. Correct. Hmm. So 52 years later, we finally get this back. So that's pretty darn exciting. It is. Yeah. And happily because of, of fans during the original run of the show who were recording them off the air and very often doing really good quality recordings. A lot of them were taking pictures off the TV sets too. So we even have visual points of reference for some of these shows that would otherwise just be completely lost. So the animators here have um, a lot to work with. Cool beans. Two other pieces of news that I have, one that is Doctor Who related, one uh, that is not Doctor Who related, but I think is worth mentioning uh, here anyway. But I'll I'll take Doctor Who first. Anyone who Mm -hmm. is in the southern part or interested in coming to the southern part of the U.S., the first weekend of May, we will be having Hulanta that, of course, is in Atlanta, Georgia. And if you would like to find out more about Hulanta, go to Hulanta.com for all the information on hotels, who the guests are. And you will, if you come, see Discussing Who at Hulanta. So, again, Hulanta.com, go check it out and make sure you let them know that Discussing Who sent you. Yeah. And if you see us, like if we have our discussing who shirts on or something, or you just recognize our smiling faces, then shout out and say, hey, hey, you're discussing who guys. Yes, indeed. Or you hear our voices and go, where have I heard those voices? I know that voice. <laughs> they were on the Relativity Podcast. That's right. <laughs> um, so I had to mention this last one just just for fun because I, I felt like, you know, the two of you needed to have a little fun at my expense. <laughs> Can't wait to see Captain Marvel this weekend. Yeah. I, I was just thinking the same thing and wondering, is it uh, – is it uh, is it appropriate to bring it up? But yeah, as we as we sit here recording this, Captain Marvel opens tonight, tonight. at midnight most places. Yes, so and apparently getting pretty good reviews so far. So as long as you're not looking at Rotten Tomatoes, yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> so I want to ask you guys because we saw this similar, and and this is actually is I was hoping you guys would mention this because this is why I actually other than giving you guys to t- uh, a, an opportunity to take a stab at me, you know, just poke some fun at me for just for the heck of it. But uh, the other part was the Rotten Tomatoes thing. It's interesting that being a the first woman as a main Marvel Comics movie franchise character that's getting you know the big movie treatment we Mm -hmm. see this tomato meter or tomato whatever the 
Yeah. How do you say it? Tom- I would say tomatometer, but yeah. Uh, okay, well, I'll go with that. So, you know, you have that thing that basically got bombarded with neg- negative remarks. And, yes. Lee, when we were doing the 11th series of Doctor Who, you know, you w- were fascinated by all the hate out there, for lack of a better word, for the whole series that just kind of infested social media. What yes. do you guys think of the of this? Is this a trend or is this just what social yeah. media does? It's certainly not new to have a review uh, bombarded by the haters. I think, you know, what's unique in this case, it was getting all of these bad reviews before the movie even came out and most people had seen it, which, you know, people do that all the time with products and video games. The Steam store is a good example of a game that'll come out and get some negative press and all of a sudden it has horrible reviews across the board. But um, I don't know. I think, you know, the guys over at RottenTomatoes.com have done some changes to make it uh, a little more uh, uh, fair ground, equal footing on on uh, these reviews. But overall, I think it's just <laughs> the nature of people on the Internet these days. You know, you have a forum to go and and voice your opinion about something. And that's that's not always going to turn out great, you know. So, yeah. I don't know. Hmm. I, I think Clarence has said it very well. And, and there's this whole phenomenon now of what we call keyboard courage of people uh, posting publicly uh, comments that they would never make if they were looking somebody in the eye. Um, I, I, it really struck me that the hardest um, about Captain Marvel or even about the 13th Doctor, but it was about Kelly Marie Tran. that I, I just kept thinking, these are Star Wars yeah. fans. These are I, I really would like to put them in the same room with Kelly Marie Tran and see if they'll say that to her sweet little face. Yeah. Say, come on, boys, let's let's hear it now. But, you know, it's just yeah, it's just racism. It's not like we invented anything new there. I mean, so mm. so there you go. <laughs> but, but yeah, for for people who don't know, Kyle's thing about Captain Marvel is that he disliked the character because of things that Carol Danvers was doing in the current continuity in the comics. But the movie is going to have nothing to do with that. So. Yeah. But I have to admit, you know, I did have my healthy dose of haterade. I mean, go back and listen to if anyone's listening. It's not in our comic podcast. It's actually in the Discussing Who uh, archive. We actually have an archive now and actually can say yeah. we've got enough episodes to have <laughs> right. an archive, but Into it's in post. our archive. Uh, there is an episode where we talk civil war to Clarence and I do and, uh, go back and listen to that episode. I'm not kind to the character Captain Marvel, but I have to say Marvel, the comics, you know, the publisher has done a great job over the last year kind of riding the ship and bringing Carol back to the character that I actually did like for decades. So kudos to them. And to be clear, you never were hating on her because she's a woman. Oh, absolutely not. No, (laughs) absolutely not. No. And and that does seem to be the gist of what's going on with the the haters on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Mm, yeah, no, that was the most. Case. She's the most powerful in the cinematic universe now. No, we can't no, have that, can we? No. <laughs> oh, get see, ready, guys. See, I could, <laughs> I could so get into the entire conversation, and maybe we need to have this as a conversation well, on discussing comics, which is, and I quote: "Who's more powerful, Superman or Wonder Woman?" You decide. So, guys, do you have anything else before we actually get into the review? I really don't. 
but I don't. All right, Mr. Brown, what about you? Let's do it. All right, good deal. So if you have not seen Human Nature, it is the first part of a two-part story. If you have not seen Human Nature, put us on pause. Go out, watch the episode, come back, because from henceforth, spoilers. 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 Martha, you trust me, don't you? Of course I do. Because it all depends on you. This watch is... It's Monday, November 10th, 1913. Make quite a team. Don't be just. <laughs> quite an eye for the pretty girl. Because very soon, we will look so familiar. <laughs> look, in the sky. Help me! You extraordinary man. <laughs> Wake up! The spoiler warning has gone out, and we are back to review Human Nature. Again, this is the eighth episode of the 2007 series of the British television program that we all know as Doctor Who. It first aired on the 26th of May 2007, and it is part of a two-part story. The episode is written by Paul Cornell, and it is based upon the book by the very same name and also written by him. So guys, tell me, what do you think of the first part? Not the story as a whole, in case you went ahead like I almost did, kind of, sort of, maybe, go in and watch the entire thing. Just that first part, human nature, what did you think? And Clarence, I'll let you take it first. Oh, this is perfect for me because, honestly, I don't remember watching this episode before i don't know if i skipped it or just uh, missed it or what but wow. i i don't remember it at all so i i, I had fun awesome. with it <laughs> i thought it was pretty interesting um you know i have no idea how it's going to turn out but <laughs> i i um i enjoyed it i like seeing human doctor or normal doctor do his thing and it's in this first part, the conflict of 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 uh, Martha uh, having to deal with that and maybe having to see him do some things that <laughs> she doesn't entirely agree with and, and not knowing what to do in this specific situation. So a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Cool, cool. So, uh, Lee, so you and I have to be careful because if he does not remember, I don't want to spoil the ending for him. So yeah. um, that being said, what did you think? Oh, I have long said that this two-parter is my favorite of all of new who, and I haven't actually watched in a long time. And because I didn't want to get on the podcast and get uh, mixed up about what happens in the first part and the second part, what I did uh, this weekend was I watched human nature just by itself. And I remember now in vivid detail all the reasons why I say this is my favorite. This this two-hour block here, uh, this two-parter, this is my favorite in all of New Who. Wow. So, um, yeah, so I just had a ball. Huh? Mm. How, how about you? So for me, well, let me comment real quick on what Clarence said. You may not remember it, but I have a very strong suspicion that when you were watching it through for the first time, that a certain individual who is on this podcast probably 
pestered you into making sure that you did watch every episode. So either that or you played it off really well um, <laughs> <laughs> that you did. But that being said, and this seems like a theme that I have said over and over this uh, season's reviews or when we've talked about the season's reviews, I've not watched this one in a very long time. It's one that I liked. And it is one that I very much enjoyed watching again. There were things that I'm noticing this time having that reviewing cap on that is or that are things that I did not catch or pay attention to or completely were lost in my memory from from last time. So very much enjoyed part one and part two for me. Awesome. Good deal. So let's kind of start at the very beginning and we see the beginnings take us right in the middle of action. And we see, you know, the doctor running in and, you know, him and Martha talking about being on the run from someone and using a vortex manipulator. And he, next thing we know, he becomes John Smith. Lee, Considering this is one of your favorites, how did you like that opening scene? What were your thoughts? That, that teaser is one of the things I like best about it is that a lot of episodes uh, start off with a status quo. We're in the TARDIS and everything's fine and we're talking and then, oh, there's a distress signal or something. Uh, Paul Cornell doesn't give us a second to breathe with this. The the first thing that happens on screen is the door the, to the TARDIS flying open and them running in and they're actually there's a there's a, a an energy bolt behind them too it's it's so you blink if you miss it but they're being shot at you know it's wow what a what an open so yeah it's one it's certainly one of my favorite teasers of all of New Who too it's like okay you awake yet and as soon as he's awake uh, well before he gets awake Clarence what what about you what did you think of that opening opening scene i thought it was a lot of fun threw you right into it um had you guessing from the start like what in the world is going on um i love the reference of the vortex manipulator i thought that was that was pretty cool made me think of jack harkness which is always awesome Uh and um yeah yeah it just set up the rest of the episode beautifully because you know we have this mystery to try to uncover of of what has the doctor running you know um why why is he running away from something this is the doctor you know so yeah i don't know it's just just a good open to me what about you yeah that you know i'm i'm going to echo what both of you said i just liked how you didn't have this um whole 15 minutes of well here's what's going to happen you are dropped smack dab in the middle of everything going on exactly at that point and you catch up as you start watching. So I thought from a capture me in the moment section or, you know, for the purpose of that, I thought that was brilliant and, and really, really enjoyed that. So, yeah. Go ahead. And I was just going to bring up too. He mentions to Martha, did they see you? Which I thought was, was interesting. And then, then at the end, well, then somehow later on in episodes, mail comes up. So I was a little confused on if it was the look that they were tracking or the smell or and also like what would they have done if if Martha was the one that 
they saw first or they got to look at like would would he change her into a time lord i mean <laughs> or to some other alien like what what have they have done if it would have been her that got tracked and maybe they didn't care about martha so i don't know mm, good good question so so let me ask you know i want to kind of jump directly into the two characters i think that i liked the least outside the family that we these alien creatures that we're seeing and that would be Hutchinson and Baines. I want to talk about them for a moment. So, Lee, as characters, what were your thoughts on those two? I was admiring the screenwriting again. Um, and uh, I love the fact that the first time we see those two guys, they have to make a racist remark about Martha. Yeah. And, they, and they laugh and keep walking. And I thought, boy, that's nice. Let, make sure the audience understands who the bad guys are. <laughs> it's, yep. Move along. And then, of course, they are professional bullies, too. And, and, uh, we're, we're already on the side of, uh, uh, poor Latimer, you know, no matter what else goes on, because he's the, uh, the object of their, um, their bullying. So, gee whiz, these two. Mm, Clarence, what about you? What do you think? I remember loving how they took the situation with Martha being there seriously. They didn't, you know, the joke was made about the clean, how, how can you tell if something's clean or something to that effect? Yeah. With hands uh, like those, yeah. how can you tell when something's clean? Yeah. Right. So I really love, you know, as we kind of look back and say they were kind of just whatever with, you know, gender or race in the past. I love how they were just like very serious with it here. And I kind of, it shocked me because I didn't expect that at all. And I just I love that they did take it seriously there. Uh, Baines, I you know what? He is sort of like a cartoonish villain um, in this episode. But I love that because I thought it was perfect. Maybe if we if we talk about the scene before he actually got converted uh, in, in that forest with the beer. To me, he was acting weird before he got converted. So I didn't know if he was drunk already or what, but, but I definitely bought it after he uh, entered, entered the ship. Mm. You know, I, and, and maybe this is a character flaw for me personally, but there is something about me when I see characters like Hutchinson and Baines that I have no sympathy when bad things happen to them. And again, that may be, you know, a character flaw for me, but it's, they did a great job, these two actors, of portraying people who come across as, I think I'm better than you. And because of my cultural standing that I just happen to be born into, I am better than you. And I don't like that. And I think they did a very good job of portraying that. And I also don't like seeing people be bullied and they did that. So that was another reason, you know, for me to yeah. dislike them. So as far as the actors themselves, they did an excellent job of make, making me almost immediately dislike them. And even with their sneering, their, their arrogance that they portrayed, I think they did that spot on. So because I dislike them, so says they did that job so well. So you guys mentioned Latimer. <laughs> I'm curious, and Clarence, I'm going to point this one to you first. Since you don't remember that second episode, what do you think is going on with Latimer? What is, what's up with Latimer? 
Wait, is Ladder of Timothy? Yes. That same? Okay, yeah. yeah uh, I don't know what's going on. I really have no clue. I cannot give any insight. Of course, once he gets the doctor's watch, he's having the doctor's flashbacks. I I have a theory, but I don't know for sure. I'm thinking it. Nah, it couldn't be him. Because I know another guy would watch in a future episode. <laughs> but that that's what I'm leaning toward. But I don't know for sure. So. Okay, so I'm going to go back and tell you my theory, and I'm and it may be right and it may be wrong, and I remembered my theory from the first time I watched it, which is I wondered for a moment if the doctor's consciousness was not hidden but recreated and into another form because of the oddities that Timothy was displaying. So, you know, the more I've watched it and the more I've remembered my thinking that is this the doctor in disguise? Mm, Interesting. Was he split into two as, Mm -hmm. you know, that something went wrong with the, you know, chameleon arc and turning him human that instead of, you know, kind of, you know, just replacing what he was, it actually split him. That that was my theory at at one point, and again, it may be right going into episode two, or it may be wrong, but that was, I remember thinking that. So, Lee, what were, what are your thoughts? Uh, I love the, the complication of Latimer, that it would be really easy to tell this story that uh, without Latimer at all, uh, I'm speaking just of inhuman nature right now, but you really don't, he, he's not essential to the story right now, but once he, um, gets curious about the doctor's watch and then impulsively pockets it. Um, it is a pocket watch after all. Um, now he's in it and it's fascinating. And, and, and the little um, idea has been traced, has been sort of uh, uh, seeded out to us before that he is uh, psychic or telepathic, that he yeah. has some kind of, uh, uh, he has precognitive flashes and he doesn't know why, uh, rather like the doctor's dreams that he can't explain. Correct. So it's, it is, it's just, it's just fascinating, but he's not really essential to the plot until he gets hold of the watch. And I, I just, it's, it's such a great idea to have this character who also has a little mystery going on. So just wonderful. And, and doesn't the watch call out to him, uh, at some point when he, yes. Yeah. That's the reason why he reaches out to it because as soon as he gets close to it, uh, he, he hears voices. Hmm. And see, that's what turned me on to my theory oh. is why is this kid hearing the watch? It should, you know, if the doctor can pick up the watch and not hear anything, why can he? Yeah, the perception filter, yeah, keeps the watch safe from everybody, even the doctor. Correct. And Martha. Yeah. But Latimer. Yeah. So, yeah, what in the world is going on there? It's, it's just great. And why does Latimer have the voice of Ferb from Phineas and Ferb? That's so strange. Wait, is is that the same guy? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Thanks, sir. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. I was about to say, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That's one of the many things that, that uh, Thomas, and he's, he's also on uh, Thunderbirds or Go, too, which, uh, but yeah. And, and, and some other TV show. I can't remember the name of it, but it's, um, anyway, he, well, he's Joe Jen Reed. You know that. Well, another thing that I want to mention right before we move on is there is the lady that is there working as a maid with Martha, and she says something about 
in just a few years' time, boys like that will be running the country, and she's referencing Hutchinson and Baines. And Martha responds, 1913, they might not. And I just thought that that was really deep in the sense of how many people actually lost their lives going into, you know, what war brings, basically. Right. Yeah. So and a I, reminder of how, how very close to the beginning of World War I we are. Yeah. Indeed. So I want to switch and talk about John and Joan, Joan Redfern for a second. We see John Smith, the, the personality John Smith, not just a name John Smith, but a personality unto itself. And Joan basically start being a little smitten with each other. What did you guys? Well, very smitten with, uh, you know, with each other. So what did you guys think of this whole dynamic that we start to see unfold between John and Joan? Wow. Um, Cal, I know that you love, uh, uh, uh River, but this might be the superior love story. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, it was so off, uh, awesome to see David Tennant kind of just play this character. And not be the doctor for a minute. So like a Dr. Light episode, kinda, cause he's not the doctor. But I love seeing him be a clumsy fool almost, literally falling downstairs literally. and, and, and just falling in love. I just thought it was beautifully done in this episode. Um, the, the banter, maybe that's the wrong word. The interaction between them both were, it was felt very genuine. And it felt very believable, and and I, I ate it up. I loved it. Mm. Lee, what about you? Oh, it is absolutely one of my favorite things about the episode. And and watching it again, it struck me that um, it, it it connects to something that I, I read a reviewer talking about. Um, maybe my favorite comic book movie of all time still uh, is the the nineteen seventy eight Superman. And what this reviewer was saying was, it's not just great that Christopher Reeve is the perfect Superman. He's an even better Clark Kent. And mm. it's true that that's the film that really made us all take Clark Kent seriously for the first time as a separate person that Christopher Reeve embodies. Uh, it's believable that, that you could look at that guy and not know it's Superman. And, and I think that's a triumph of that, of that movie. Um, and, and so here, we see that John Smith is not just a name that the doctor uses. John Smith is just, as you said, a totally different person. He's Clark Kent to the doctor Superman. And, and it's one of the things I love about this episode. I wouldn't want it to be all the doctor who that there is, but in the context of doctor who it's great fun to watch him be Clark Kent instead of being Superman, who is aware that he's also Superman, but he kind of doesn't know what to do with that knowledge. It's just, and he, and he being human, he falls in love. And then we have this heartbreaking moment with Martha asking the TARDIS, because there's nobody else she can talk to, why does he have to fall in love with a human? So here's what I thought about John Smith. I love the alias. I love the name. I love how it's been referred and referenced um, over the years. I thought that we got to see a side of David Tennant that we've never seen before as the doctor. Mm-hmm. And candidly, I had completely forgotten about this portrayal. I knew that he used the name John Smith, but I had forgotten how well he differentiated this character from the doctor we know. So that leads into my next question that I want to pose to you guys. What 
in your opinion, is the biggest differentiator personality-wise between this John Smith we saw in this episode and the doctor that we've come to know as the 10th doctor? What is the biggest difference? Clarence, let you take it first. Oh, I think that's pretty simple. Just not being sure of himself. Uh, I think we get several examples in this episode where he's, you know, not the uber confident person we all know and love uh, from, from you know, the normal course of the show. So, I, you know, I think he's just a very different, um, I said bumbling idiot earlier, but a, a bit of a bumbling <laughs> He's not idiot. an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 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 you know, but I don't know. I <laughs> just, just very different, um, in that confidence factor to me. Cool. Lee, what about you? Uh, exactly the same. Yeah. I'm, my word was going to be confidence that, um, Smith, uh, his, his confidence is all related to his profession. And, and he, and he, he, he walks tall and proud when he's in his, uh, mortar board and gown and in, in the classroom, you know, when he's in front of the boys, but everywhere else he is, uh, he is not sure of himself. And, uh, I think that's fascinating. And, and, and David Tennant, it's, it's completely credible. He completely inhabits that, that character. It's just, it's just gore, gorgeous to watch. Mm, okay. And, and, and they certainly did an awesome job of, making the real world and it's been done before but making the real world doctor adventures a dream <laughs> mm-hmm. um it, it, i i really love how they played out an episode to where he's getting these these flashes but they're just pushed through a dream which he's writing and he's drawing these pictures out and and bringing it to life we've seen many stories told like this where it's a dream um and, and we're living the other side of it so uh, I, I thought that was beautifully done in this episode as well. And you gave us the perfect segue into what I wanted to talk about next, which was the Journal of Impossible Things. And I, I agree. I think it was totally nice. And Lee, I want to get your input as to what you thought about this journal. And then I've got, um, after hearing both of your thoughts, uh, some thoughts of my own. So Lee, what do you think? I remembered now vividly watching it again. I remember that my son and I, as soon as we had the DVD, we were freeze framing, you know, the, the pages of that book just so we could get a better look at them. And our delight at Christmas when the BBC put out a facsimile edition of wow. the whole book, we were so, yeah. And of course that's, he got that for Christmas. That is cool. And, uh, yeah, I guess they're all, they're still out there. I, I don't know if they sell them anymore, but, uh, but it was whoever the, the, uh, the artist was who, who put together all, I mean, all the text is, is legible and, um, you know, uh, it, 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 they did, they, they created the whole book that he's supposed to have been, been writing the transcription of his dreams. And it is, it is a, a marvelous, marvelous piece of work. So yeah, I, I just love that. All right, Clarence, what about you? What'd you think? Uh, now that I know it's a real world product, <laughs> I, I kind of want to just check it out and look at some of the pictures because there were a few in there where I was a little puzzled on what exactly the uh, the, the illustration was. Mm-hmm. So I do want to, you know, at some point in the future, maybe uh, pull that up on my computer and, and see what's going on in there. Cool. 
Well, you know, Mr. OCD here. Well, well, two things. Uh, I did read somewhere and I don't have the exact reference, but the words that were used on these pages were actually excerpts from the book Human Nature. So it was actually some of the, to my understanding, some of the actual things from the novel human nature makes sense makes perfect sense and what i also did with my ocd brain was earlier this afternoon i paused it on my screen and started you know transcribing so i want to read just a couple of them because i think you guys will think and anyone listening think that this is cool One page says that I have this magical, almost pen-like implement that opens anything. It lights up with bright white light when I use it. I think it was called Sonic, although I'm sure that the name was a lot longer. I cannot remember. Another page refers to the console room, which I thought was cool, and it says it was bigger on the inside than it out than outside. Levers and sockets and wires that connect it to the room. he says, I don't understand it, although I do in my dreams, my magic box. And my f- favorite one, there was another page that says faces. I keep changing faces. I have changing faces. Keep changing. I don't know how. I have dreams. I have changed so many times. Keep changing. And that was the one where we see the, you know, the faces, I believe, of the fourth doctor, the eighth doctor, um, maybe the second doctor. Who, who else was it, Lee, maybe? I wish that I had the the book in front of me right now because uh, it, it's a it's a lovely illustration. But I do remember how how uh, recognizable, instantly recognizable uh, the uh, the eighth Doctor was, for example. Um, and I want to say in seven, I think. I yeah, think right? so. Yeah. And and I really think that this was so instrumental because this was the second time for really really good documentation per se since Sarah Jane that we had something visual like that that connected us to the classic series. Mm, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um I love that 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 drawing of um of Rose where, where you can really only see a a part of her face, but they they captured the distinctive most distinctive aspects of Billy Piper's face. So you you know in a flash of an instant who that is. It's 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 a very masterful little drawing. That's one of my favorite things in the book. Just he, he doesn't quite remember her face, you know. I just love that. So I want to take us back to when Martha returns to the TARDIS. And Clarence, what did you think of this hiding the TARDIS in the field, basically, or in the woods somewhere? And she goes and she finds the TARDIS and she's entering it by herself and going to see this video. What were your thoughts on that? Hmm. Um, I think we mentioned it earlier, but I do like how she could kind of have sort of these, um, to use Star Trek terms, general orders from the doctor where she could kind of play back and go through and, and maybe get a little more insight on how to handle this situation that she really has no idea what to do with. Although I will say she does an excellent job of assimilating in this environment and, um, so, so the fact that she can go back to the TARDIS and, and kind of review as a kind of guide to what to do, I thought that was awesome, but also utterly useless when, <laughs> when something arises that's not in that list of, of uh, directives. So, mm. ah. Lee, what about you? 
Yeah, same thing. Yeah, I, I, and we, I, I like, I like kind of the joke that she fast forwards and we get to a number twenty three or whatever it is. <laughs> so uh, apparently, it's a long, long list, but still, it couldn't possibly cover everything that she's going to run into. And um, yeah, it, it may not be to the point that you're that you're talking about, but I was just, I was just thinking about um, um, the burden Martha carries in this story, and it's one of the reasons to love her. So much. I'm shouting out to Nicole here because she really has opened my eyes, made me maybe more aware of what a what an awesome companion Martha is. And I knew this to me, this is her shining hour because what what kind of strength does it take? This is Jackie Robinson personal strength to have to to, to be concerned about whether or not the doctor has a concussion. And to have Matron say, you know, I think he's fine and you know, I do know more about this than you do. She says to Dr. Jones. Yeah. Who who can't say I uh, actually <laughs> have the white coat, lady? Yeah. yeah. Hey, Miss Nurse, I'm a doctor, literally. Right. Yeah. Exactly. No, you're a nurse, but yeah, she can't, and so she doesn't, and that's um, that's almost superhuman. It's just it's just fantastic. Yeah. And the episode does just a fantastic job of of putting her in all of these uncomfortable situations. Yeah. You know, the race was just part of it. But again, like these situations with seeing the doctor fall for this <laughs> human woman, um, I, I just think the way they portrayed it. And again, like when she went back to the TARDIS, she was asking herself the same question of well, how does she handle this? This, this love triangle question mark <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. that, that, that she's in. And um, yeah, just beautifully done. Mm. Yeah, this was, and I don't know why I thought this when I was watching this, uh, the other day, uh, the, my first time, you know, rewatching it through. But for some reason, my note that I wrote down when Martha ran into the TARDIS was, this is one of those epic stories. And I really don't know why I said that, but the more I hear you guys talking, the more I'm realizing maybe the epicness that I'm feeling was, You've taken this character from 2007. You've put her in this impossible situation where the only person that she does know in 1913 has no clue who she is. And she has to survive on her own without the doctor, without anyone else she knows in a situation where because of the color of her skin, that puts her in an awkward situation being someone from 2007 you know and i'm thinking maybe from seeing series 11 of ryan doing something really nice and you know cordial right what if she you know her going in and barging into um john smith's room if you know the matron could have been just a little bit not as nice and said oh well you know you're just the maid and you know you're you're going to get punished for that and whatever yeah. punishment might be that's right so i don't know it just felt epic and she did a great job of portraying martha as martha but with this sense of reservation that she, you knew that it was never far from the back of her mind. I am where I am. So I have to acknowledge that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not just about keeping her head down either. She's also got to take care of him. Yeah. Yeah. 
I love the reoccurring joke of her barging into this right. study. I thought that was and yep. does it tie into something that I want to bring up next, which is this was called human nature. And there is a scene where the doctor as John Smith is walking with Joan and there is a piano that is about to fall. And by instinct, the doctor picks up a, I think it was a ball and yeah, throws like, it to save this person or like this woman. Ball, yeah. mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts about human nature? Not necessarily about what he did, but what does that say about human nature in general, and I don't really know the answer to my question that I'm asking, but I think it's a good one because I'm curious as to why this series episode was called Human Nature. So what do you guys think? Yeah, I think I think it refers to the fact that the doctor's in disguise, you know, he and and that means that his memory has to be um, subjugated as well. So the whole thing is for a time he's going to have to live as a human. Okay. You know, and we'll get through that. Martha knows there's a there's an end point. All she has to do is survive. But human nature means he's also going to fall in love. Yeah. Hmm. And there you go. Also, that boys will be boys, and that <laughs> and that people are going to kill each other, and that's right. human nature too. Hmm. What do you think, Clarence? Curious. Nah. Yeah, I just totally agree with everything Lee say says, and in spite of you know him having this mask and trying to live out this human life, you still see these moments or glimpses of the doctor shining through. And I think that's kind of what happens in that piano scene where I think it would have been easier just to knock out the woman pushing a baby, but he, <laughs> <laughs> he does a spectacular thing of, you know, kind of the domino effect, which yes. is fun. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of want to go again, halfway in the middle of what you guys just said, but halfway a little bit differently. I want to say that, yes, it was just about him becoming human and having that nature of a human. But I also want to take it to the aspect of there, there are fundamental parts of our personalities, of our being. Yes, we can change. Yes, we can make um you know our our vices we can turn our vices into you know something good or our something good can come into a vice or vice versa you know we do have the ability to change however there are core things about our personalities as beings whether human or not but there are certain things that are our core of who we are and i think that cricket um Thing that happened, you know, with throwing the ball, I just saw that as being, regardless of the disguise, no matter how much John Smith did not know he was the doctor, there is a part of the doctor that was always there, just under the surface, and as the 11th, I mean, excuse me, as the 13th doctor has said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm there, when people need me and if I see someone in help, I can never refuse. And that's mm-hmm. what popped into my head when I saw someone in help. I mean, needing help and I couldn't refuse, even though I didn't know what I was doing. And that was where I thought that was interesting with human nature. Yeah, exactly. 
And, you know, it's it's another thing to admire now that you mention it about uh, David Tennant's performance, because you're exactly right. It, it, the, the doctor is there under the surface and he's not aware of it uh, fully in, in a fully conscious way. So when he throws the cricket ball and creates this this chain reaction that saves the lady with the baby, he's as surprised as anybody. Yes. He can't, I just love the way he plays that. He can't believe he did that. <laughs> uh, it's wonderful. So I want to go back just in the watching of it just a few minutes before that. There's a conversation that Joan and John are having. And I thought that that was really interesting when John refers to his parents and says, my father, Sidney, and my mother, Verity. I just yeah. thought that that was like really, really cool. And it's hard for me to look at maps of Ireland without thinking that Gallifrey does sound like the name of you know, someplace in Ireland. And uh, so she asks him where, where Ireland is. If, if she asks him if, if Gallifrey is in Ireland and he says, uh, I suppose it is. <laughs> she said, you're not Irish. You know, but yeah, yeah. Father Sidney and mother Verity, which is pretty, pretty uh, accurate way of describing Dr. Yeah. Who I would say. Yeah, I guess so with Sidney Newman and Verity Lambert. So there you go. Yeah. yeah. So that that's a nice little shout out to the true origins of the show. So we haven't really mentioned the aliens because we really don't really see much of the aliens at this point. But what at this point in the story, what did you guys think of what we will now know next episode as the family of blood? What did you think of these aliens per se? So, Clarence, I'll let you go first. So was it I remember saying mother. A head mother. What did he, what did he call her? Mother of mine. Mother of mine. Mother of mine. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, the brother and the daughter. Now, was the other guy supposed to be the father? I think yeah. the father guessing? of mine. I don't know if anybody ever says father of mine, but yeah. Okay. Because I remember. Because I remember when the brother was saying, "You will make a fine specimen of the mother of mine," <laughs> and then they flash for an instant to the older guy. I forget his name, uh, but the guy that's playing. Uh, that I think is playing father of mine. He kind of gives like this <laughs> little snicker, like he's happy that that's the mother. <laughs> yeah. I was reading into that one a little bit too much, I guess. <laughs> but but I don't know. I thought they were they were fun. They were very um, I don't know uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for. Campy, <laughs> campy. Um, yeah. I, I I thought they they did a good job uh, of. Because I, I like, they felt distinct. In, in a way, they felt distinct. Uh, not only in the way they were moving, but I thought the language felt very distinct in a way. I can't really put my finger on it, but I, I loved it. I loved it. Lee? And you know, it is just occurring to me in this moment that I was complaining uh, on the episode 42 that the monster was uh, another member of the crew wearing a helmet. Um, in this case, are, are these people exactly as they were before, except that they're with a different behavior. So um, that's an even cheaper way out. Um, but but I, I've never questioned that before because it's just lovely, this possession. And I, and I like the, 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 this wonderful CG effect when we finally see one of the, uh, uh, the family of blood taking over one of the human bodies, that uh, like green cloud. Um, and that, that was really <laughs> frightening and unpleasant. Um, but yeah, and I remembered that um, years ago, uh, my son and I were trying to uh, we, uh, we we had developed a joke about uh, Doctor Who that it's possible to to do cosplays without a costume, <laughs> yeah. uh, 
And and I've been trying to think of what the what with all their costumes were. Uh, one of them was that if you're overweight, uh, uh, then you can you can be one of the uh, Raxacoricophallopatorians by just farting. <laughs> so, so you say that's my cosplay. I'm, yeah. And the other thing was to uh, lie down on the floor like you're dead, and then jump up and gasp a big good breath of air, and say I'm Captain Jack. Uh, and I couldn't think of what the third one was. And tonight I remembered, of course, the third one was just to cock your head to one side and sniff. <laughs> so, inhale, family of blood. There, instant cosplay. Yeah, and, and just, again, like on the creepiness factor of, of these guys, um, again, in the movement and some of the language we were using, it was a wonderful moment when I Timothy is sitting on the bench and you see the father and the brother but the only thing else you see is a balloon coming <laughs> over some hedges. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I thought that was great. Yeah. It's yeah. lo- lovely little touch. Yeah. <laughs> that's attention to detail. Yeah. Yeah. Well, right. Well, and, and magically she has a helium balloon that's going to stay, uh, that's going to stay full like that through the whole uh, story. Right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and it's a child that, you know, you've got this perfect, image of this child and that's what i think makes it creepy is you've got this child that's going everywhere with this freaking balloon mm-hmm. and never loses it even when she gets attacked by this group of scarecrows exactly doesn't you know i would think the first thing you would do as a child i probably some adults would do the same thing is like you know like scream and like you know cover your face or something yes you're not going to hold on to the balloon. <laughs> She's still got that balloon. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a funny idea. Yes. But perfectly executed, nonetheless. <laughs> and the scarecrows, of course, are, I guess, they're they're like autons, too. There's no reason to believe that you could animate and give intelligence to a scarecrow. Uh, sorry, Oz fans. But, um, you know, so, I mean, how would that even work? How so, but you. Exactly. <laughs> uh, okay. In, okay. In Oz, you can. But... Uh, but yeah, so uh, anyway. But, and who the hell makes scarecrows that looks like that anyway? Those are <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, those are pretty creepy. Anyway, but but I have to say that they did have this horrific eyes vibe because they did kind of look like a evil version of the scarecrow from the Wizard well, sure. of Oz. Oh, well, they're scarecrows, you know. I mean, yeah. But, um, yeah, I do love that moment where the guy puts his hand all the way through one and, and realizes in that instant, this isn't somebody playing around with me. <laughs> yeah. Is, uh, uh, that's a great way of showing that. So, very nice. So, one of the things that the doctor says, if you are discovered, whatever you do, you know, go find the watch and give me the watch and open the watch. And Martha runs in to tell... um the doctor, hey, we've been discovered and you need to turn back. Where's the watch? And of course, as we've said before, Timothy has the watch. And the doctor says to all the things that she said, oh, you must be so confused, Martha. This is what we call a story. And she's like, oh, you complete. And we know what she's about to say. But what were your thoughts on the the scene of her coming in and basically doing what what I just said she did? Tell the doctor you got to change back, and he thinks she's off her rocker. Oh, it's just heartbreaking, uh, the, the, and the commitment that that uh, the actors all have to that scene. 
just makes it work so well. Martha does sound like she's raving mad. Mm. And you kind of wonder, oh, Martha, haven't you thought about this at all? You don't you know how you sound? Um, you know, it's just it's just awful. And and if she understands how this whole thing works about the, the fact that he physically isn't the doctor right now, then she surely she should know you can't just hit him and make him the doctor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not says it all. Exactly. <laughs> but 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 it is interesting though. I mean, having said that, I guess I, I, I'm not saying that 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 doesn't that 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 ruins the the episode for me or anything because um but uh you do have to question the logic of that i understand that she's very uh, frightened and upset and the sonic showing him the sonic screwdriver that we got the sense that almost worked mm. so yeah so what do you think clarence mm, it goes back to those glimpses of the doctor that that he's shown in this episode um i do think the so- showing the sonic was probably the better approach uh, but, but <laughs> than slapping him <laughs> yeah yeah this this that was just you know he she she's being like her mother i guess but <laughs> oh that was a good one but but the slap is just out of pure frustration i mean yes yes you're at this point when things are starting to go bad and we need the doctor you know we don't need Come mr on. smith <laughs> snap out of it you know mm. yeah i don't see it as you know she being like you know, being headstrong or anything like that. I'm seeing it as I'm being attacked. They're coming. I need your help. I can't do this on my own. There's no way I can defeat them on my own. I need you to be the doctor and, you know, become, you know, and then she sees that the watch is gone. I know if I were in her shoes, I would be like panic mode. 100 percent as okay i would probably be you know cussing left right and center and thinking what in the heck am i going to do i think in the circumstance she was quite level-headed and uh did what she had to do to try to get him to be who he was oh there's a great moment when Jenny slash mother of mine comes in to talk to Martha <laughs> and Martha's just so freaking brilliant Yeah, to where she knows to ask the right questions huh? because she's suspicious that something is going on. Yeah. That yeah. is a great Martha scene, isn't it? That's yeah. yeah. It's beautiful. And, and we, and we don't know how much the doctor has told her before about what the family of blood might be like. So my sense was that Martha is putting, uh, a lot of disparate facts together and coming up with the right conclusion there all in a, in a heartbeat. You know, she's, she is nobody's fool. I just, mm. and I'll take your, she's nobody's fool one step further and tie that into what I said earlier about how she portrayed being stuck there in that time and being the person that she was. I have a feeling that she carefully watched every single person that she came in contact with. Mm. And this was actually someone who treated her based on before the family as an equal and was, you know, treated her just as she would anybody else. And now this person is acting so differently. I think it did make a lot of radars go off and kudos to Martha that it did. Yeah. So I'm curious since we're right here at the end of this second um or this first part of this two-part story are there any other notes that you guys have of something that we have not covered in our conversation so far 
There's a lovely little thing that I noticed this time around that I'd never noticed before. And I know it's because I'm spending so much time in the audio realm these days and trying to get the voices right and room tones and echoes and things like that. But I just I, I want to go find the sound designer who did this and just shake him or her by the hand. When Baines bumps into the the family of blood spaceship, um, he, he's puzzled by it and he keeps touching it, you know, and we, and every time he does, we get more and more of a flicker of its outline, which I thought was a lovely visual effect. And then there's a door that opens and he leans forward and he says, hello. And when he does, his voice echoes yeah. because now he's talking into a room and he was talking to us flat surface before. And I said, that's lovely attention to detail, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's so good. So, Clarence, what oh, about I, you? Did you have anything? Mm, or, or Lee, did you have something else? I'm sorry. I just remembered that. I was talking about their spaceship. Um, uh, Professor Smith says that that's a meteorite. It's not a meteorite. Meteorites are only meteorites when they hit the ground. It's a meteor. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe that's not his field of expertise, but um, that's not a meteorite. Another example <laughs> of him not being the doctor. Exactly. Anyway. All right, Clarence, what about you? Do you have anything else in your notes that we haven't covered? Uh, no, sir, I don't. All right, well, I had one other thing that I wanted to ask you guys about, and it goes back to the school itself. What type of school was this? Was it a military school, or what was it? No, it's just your classic British boys' school. This is This is what they were doing in 1913. So it was proper and normal for someone to literally say to an elder classman to take another student out for a beating. Yep. Um, there's a, there's a classic novel of, of, um, of British literature called, uh, Tom Brown's school days. And it's sort of a memoir of the, uh, the person who wrote it, who was not Tom Brown, but, uh, but you know, you, you, it's all there. It's all in Tom Brown's school days. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, this is, uh, it, it, for, for us looking back on it, this kind of, um, uh, a boys' school was just a complete nightmare, um, and um, my understanding is that it it hasn't changed a whole lot uh, uh, up until fairly recently. Um, I have friends in the UK who who uh, say uh, only half joking that they curse uh, J.K. Rowling for making um, you know boarding school seem like it would be fun because um, <laughs> that's only true if you're at Hogwarts because the boarding the the, the, the British boarding schools are there they're not fun. So, but yeah, the, the, the bullying, the upperclassmen making the, the underclassmen shine their shoes and do their homework. Yeah, that was, that was, uh, that wasn't, uh, that, that wasn't frowned on. That was just a, a common practice. That's just, and the whole idea was, you know, it'll make a man of you. It'll build, it builds character. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. That's, that's about the only thing I can say to that is, hmm. I don't know how much character <laughs> can be beat into someone. So, uh, Wow. Yeah, it, that's it's just a certain school of thought, so to speak, that, yeah, character is something that's beaten into you. And and it's one of the, the, the reasons why we can really like uh, Joan, or the, the, the nurse, because she watches all this and watches, you know, Smith doing his job, but she doesn't have to like it. Um, and 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 we're disappointed with Smith when he when he blesses the guys who are going to go out and beat, beat Latimer up. Um, yes. it, it hurts. Because I almost got, and I'm curious if you guys, and obviously you may have, but I almost got the idea 
that not only was she disappointed with him, but she was almost, I would say, ticked off at him, oh, like yeah. mad at him. Yeah, it's he, he better be pretty wonderful in all other ways for her to have to overlook that. And, and you know, this is uh, I, 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 I forgot what, what may be kind of the elephant in the room here, too. It, when we were talking about the, the burden that Martha's carrying right now as a black woman. This the the war, the undeclared war that Britain is in right now is against Africans in Africa. And Latimer is the only one who speaks up about it. And that's what he gets punished for. And that, too, is completely true. It was unpatriotic to, to say, hey, you know, we massively outgunned them. And it is actually their country. But British colonialism was blessed from the top to the bottom. It was part of our God given right for for Britain to be you know, in this other country and uh, that British colonialism was part of God's will. So, yeah, how dare you, pipsqueak, speak up against the fact that we're training people to go and machine gun African natives who have the temerity to protest the fact that we've invaded their country, you know? And Martha has to, has to listen to that, too. Hmm. But that's, you know, again, this is sort of like uh, what you've been saying, Kyle, about uh, season 13 and about the the the, uh, the, the, the segregation of Pakistan and, uh, and India and uh, and about Rosa Parks and and so on. Um, or James the first, for that matter. Yeah. Yeah. Research uh, what what Great Britain was doing in uh, Africa. Wow. 13. It's it's ugly. It is ugly. And yeah, that's the world that these people are in. Hmm. So there you go. But you know what is not ugly? <laughs> Thank you for that segue. You're welcome. <laughs> what is not ugly is the fact that we are Freema about... Adjaman. Oh. <laughs> yes. What's her name again? <laughs> Freema Adjaman. There you go. She's not ugly. No, she isn't. She is absolutely not ugly. And what is also not ugly are our final ratings on part yeah. one of this two-part story. So, Clarence, on a scale of one to five, what would you give this story? Before I give my rating, uh, I did, as we oh, yeah. continue talking, I did. Because I about, interrupted you before. Yeah. No, 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 no. I, I didn't actually have anything at that moment. But now, thinking back, um, if anybody is a fan of the first Spider-Man movie with Tobey Maguire, there's this wonderful moment on Brooklyn Bridge where Spider-Man has the choice between his sweet Mary Jane Watson or a uh, bus full of um, a trolley full of kids. Uh, hanging from the side of the bridge. It may have been a school bus. I don't remember. Um, so the doctor is kind of put in this impossible situation, which we'll get all that and more next time, I guess. But I, I, I loved how, again, I think we have the struggle of the human nature here where the human nature side has him in this situation where he love, he's falling in love with this woman. And then, you know, you have Martha over here, <laughs> poor Martha. And, you know, she just hopes the doctor remembers who she, she is. And that's kind of where, where we left that. But, uh, I love that from the episode. And I'm going to give my rating right now. So I guess I want to give it a 4.6. I really loved it. And I can't wait to see how it actually ends. Cool. Mr. Shackelford. Nope. Five. <laughs> you, you said what negative five what what <laughs> no that was uh that was the evolution of the dialects um <laughs> no no this is another big five for me it's just i just love everything about this 
And that's all he said. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's all there is to say. All right. So I'm going to give it a 4.65. I'll, I'll go just a little bit higher. Um, I'm going to take off points because I do not like to taking the kid out back to beat him. That, that really rubbed me the wrong way. And you're regard- not supposed to like it. I know that, but. <laughs> But I did not like John Smith agreeing to it, and the doctor wouldn't have agreed to that. So because John Smith did, you're getting human nature, man. Human nature. Yeah, human nature. it was. He was too human there, so it that it worked a little bit too well because the doctor would never have done that, and and that just I don't know that just rubbed me totally the wrong way, and um, for that I'm giving it a four point sixty five. So yeah. I think you have to love how this, and we've mentioned it many times already, but this episode takes, takes things seriously, which uh, that's, that is a lot of things we praise the latest season of Doctor Who for, and I think this episode does it in space. Nah, well said. Yeah. Well yeah, said. Absolutely. How painful. It can yeah, be right, right. That's it. But, but isn't that some of the best television or the best stories? If I can get ticked off because I see this kid going to be beaten for being a good person and I get mad at that. Is that not good television that it invokes or or it it causes that type of response as opposed to, oh well, Daleks in Manhattan, whoop de doo, okay, yeah. we gotta review it next. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But that's why you don't ding it points. It just shows how good it is. You don't say 4.65 because that made you angry when it was supposed to. That means that the show is doing its job. 4.75. How about that? Somebody listen to me. <laughs> okay. How about this? All right. All right. All right. I'm going to so play, uh, 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 whatever I'm playing here. So I'm going to give it 4.65. With an additional, I'm bad at math, but whatever it takes to make it to five, <laughs> and the remaining goes to Lee Shackelford. There you go. Okay, so I point, give it point three five. I give it a five, <laughs> and I hate math. So, <laughs> with that being said, if there were any other places on them there internets that you might be that others could find you, Mister Shackelford, where might they go? They should go at once, and I mean immediately, to RelativityPodcast.com, where we have just put up episode 33 of 40 for this season, and uh, it just keeps getting better and better, in my humble opinion. So there you are. That's all for me. How about you, Clarence? Uh, I'm going to, you know, second that motion and say go and see a wonderful performance, always by Mr. Lee Shackford, as well as uh, the new character, Pritvi, which is just freaking awesome. Uh, Lee, you want to give his name because I'm sorry. I shouldn't Scotty know Moore. Scotty Moore. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. There we go. He's freaking fantastic in his latest episode. Check him out. And I will follow up what Clarence just said. And if you would also like to hear an awesome performance by Mr. Brown himself as Marcus, you can also check out the Relativity podcast. But for my personal favorite, if you check out the Relativity podcast at RelativityPodcast.com, you get to hear Nadia as herself playing the ship's computer, <laughs> my favorite true. character 
in the entire series. So no offense to you guys. So relativitypodcast.com, go check it out. And with that, come back for the very next episode when we wrap up this two-part story. And we will be joined, unless something happens, by our friend Nicole from the Terminus Podcast. So thanks, everyone, for joining, and we will be back next time. You've been listening to The Discussing Network. Find out more at DiscussingNetwork.com. Discussing Who is brought to you by Audible. You've probably heard of Audible, but just in case, they are the world's leading provider of audiobooks. They have more than 180,000 titles. Let me say that again. 180,000 titles to choose from. Imagine a genre. They've got an audiobook. And these files play on smartphones, Kindles, tablets, in fact, over 500 different devices. Now, for fans of Discussing Who, Audible is offering a free download when you start a new Audible subscription. And you can choose anything at all from that vast library. But we know you want to get one of their absolutely fantastic Doctor Who titles, which include New Adventures of the Doctor, but also Torchwood and River Song. And they're performed for you by actors you know and love. Wonderful voices, Tom Baker, Alex Kingston, David Tennant. The list goes on and on. So try it out for 30 days. And if at the end of the month you decide Audible is not for you, you still get to keep that Doctor Who book you downloaded. So look at it this way. Free Doctor Who book. So here's how you get started. Point your favorite web browser to audibletrial.com slash discussing who. That's audibletrial, all one word, A-U-D-I-B-L-E-T-R-I-A-L dot com slash discussing who. Also one word. And that's how you get your free book. What could be better than that?